Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. But today we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, and so let me remind you of the 13 marks that we have discovered on our journey so far. Number one is absolute obedience to Jesus. Number two is Holy Spirit baptism. Everybody just say, it's necessary. necessary. Number three is local under global evangelism. And that is the mark that we're going to talk about today. So nobody get too scared too quick. We're going to talk about evangelism. Okay, okay, okay. I like this service. God-ordained leadership, corporate encounter, Jesus-centered preaching, many salvations and baptisms, devotion to church fellowship, number nine, radical generosity, number 10, supernatural healing, miracles, and deliverance. We've added that. Persecution is 11. Persistent prevailing prayer is 12. And the fear of the Lord is 13. Hopefully you're in the book of Acts chapter 8 now. Let's stand to our feet for the reading of the word. We're going to read verse 26 through 31. So not too many scriptures, but we're going to talk about the story of the church's first evangelist named Philip. We've met him Firstly, about a month ago, as he became part of the number of the early church's first deacons, he was a Hellenist Jew, and he signed on to become a deacon, but then the Holy Ghost got a hold of him, and he became an evangelist. Hey, you never know what's going to happen when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. (laughs) Remember when Jesus said you got to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth? That's called the Great Commission. Y'all remember that? So Philip actually does that. He leaves Jerusalem because of persecution. He goes to Judea. He ends up in Samaria, the last time that we talked about him, where he met a magician named Simon. This man has a very interesting itinerant ministry. He's preaching to magicians. And now we're going to meet him this week in the uttermost parts of the earth, in the desert. And guess who he's preaching to this week? A eunuch. This, This man's got a crazy ministry. All right, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now that's never what you want to hear when being sent by the Spirit somewhere. You're thinking, I want to go to a land flowing with milk and honey, blessing and favor, hallelujah. And uh, sometimes the Spirit will send you into a desert place. (laughs) Is that your experience? Definitely mine. Verse 27, and he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? Now, that is a question that the world is asking the church. How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. That's verse 31, and that's the word of God. The title of the message today is this, Sent by the Spirit. Sent by the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your word. 
Help us to learn all that you want us to learn, and even more, be transformed to the extent that you want to transform us. Don't leave us the same. Change us and send us out by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, as I said, uh, Philip has a pretty interesting ministry. First, the Holy Spirit's got him talking to a magician. And we don't necessarily know if Simon the magician or the sorcerer uh, was converted. We don't actually have pure evidence of that. But we do know that the eunuch here is converted. And that makes him, by definition, the very first Gentile convert in the New Testament. So the eunuch is a very fascinating person, but we're going to get to him in a little bit. What I want to first look at is how Philip got to the eunuch because Philip didn't go there on his own accord. He didn't get motivated at a conference and decide that he was going to do some evangelism because he was on fire for God that month. Philip got there because he was led there by the Holy Spirit, which is why uh, the subject of today's message is sent by the Spirit. If you look at verse 26, you'll see the way he got there. Firstly, was that he was sent by an angel. So God gives a messenger a message for Philip and tells him where to go. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. So he is led. Everybody say led. Verse 29, right here before Philip speaks to the eunuch, it says, and the Spirit said to Philip. So we have more evidence that Philip was led. Everybody say led. And here's what's crazy is that the Holy Spirit didn't just lead Philip to the eunuch, but when it was time, the Spirit led Philip away from the eunuch. And you may remember this story. It's kind of crazy. It says in verse 39, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Now, that is a miracle of transportation. I wish I could get more of those. What about you guys? Just to make road trips so much more convenient, right? Now, I've never been transported in the Spirit. Maybe some of you have. I have met some people who've been transported in the Spirit, believe it or not. Believe it or not. It's crazy. It's crazy. But it happens, and it still happens. And that's a whole nother level of being led by the Spirit. Here I am, Lord. Uh, beam me up, Scotty. God does what he wants when he wants. And what we're witnessing here is something that I like to call spirit-led evangelism. Everybody say led. Spirit-led evangelism. Now, the Holy Spirit does not just call you to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit causes you to preach the gospel. And that's what's happening here with Philip. He is led by the Spirit. Now, I know there's some people in the room today, and y'all are just extroverts. And I want to say God bless you. Because I love my extrovert friends. A lot of people think I'm extroverted. I can be extroverted, but I'm more introverted. Anybody else in the room like that? Okay, quite a few of you guys. That, that's how I am too. But I really love people. So I'll talk to anybody. Plus, I'm from Kentucky. So we don't have the best boundaries. It's just like everybody's my friend. Because my memo told me growing up, everybody likes you. And if they don't, they're stupid. 
And some of y'all need to write that on your bathroom mirror. So you just walk out of the house every morning believing, everybody likes me. Everybody needs a friend like me. And I just believe everybody needs a pastor. Whether they know that they need one or not, they may not want one, but I just believe they need one. And so I'm always looking for pockets of opportunity to encourage people. And I may not say, God bless you. I may not share scripture with them. But how many of you guys know love goes a long way in somebody's day? And so I look for opportunities to encourage people. I'm not the most extroverted, but I genuinely love people. I'm not the type of person to incessantly strike up conversations about God with about God to random strangers. I'm not necessarily that type of person, but I know some of you guys are. And I have some friends like that, and you can't take them nowhere. Like, you're just trying to get into Applebee's, you know what I'm saying? Like, to make sure you get there during, like, the, you know, appetizer hour. I don't care what anybody says. That app, that six-way app, still slaps. I'm still going to Applebee's, that's right. And I, I mean, I've had friends, I'm like, bro, can we just go in? They're like, nope, I saw somebody on crutches. <laughs> and, you know, so I'm like, man, you annoying. You're so anointed, it's annoying. <laughs> but some of you guys are like that, and I get that. But our culture, I don't know if you've noticed, our culture since 2020 has become less social. It's actually impolite now to approach strangers and talk to them about anything. You could be, you know, like endeavoring to compliment them on their outfit, and they don't even want encouragement. They're like, don't talk to me, stay away from me, don't look at me, right? It's kind of like the society, and we're in the South. Like, if you think it's bad here, like, go to New York. Right? Like, you'll get cussed out for trying to say, good morning. <laughs> That's real. Like, our society is somewhat antisocial now. And, um, you know, it's kind of unacceptable to talk to strangers. Now, whether it's cultural barriers or whether it's your personality type, let me tell you something, church. You need the Holy Spirit to evangelize. You need the Spirit to evangelize. Now, let me just take a quick poll. Uh, how many Christians we got in the room? It's a lot of you guys. How many of you believe that we should, as Christians, take the Great Commission seriously? That's, that's everybody, right? How many of you guys know that the Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion? Right? When you look in the Bible, it has a header, the Great Commission, not the Great Option. So we have to understand that the commission is not just an invitation. The commission is a commandment. And we, when we ignore the Great Commission, we ignore Jesus, who is God. Do we all remember this? So when we ignore the Great Commission, we ignore commandments from God because Jesus gave us a Great Commission and all followers, disciples, Christians are expected to obey the Great Commission and share the gospel with the lost. How many of you guys agree with that? But how many of you guys love doing it?
Like on a good day, right? Like when I'm in a good mood, like when I really feel excited to go talk to strangers. I get it. Most Christians would not say that it is a joy to be an evangelist or to evangelize. And for a long time, our sole definition of evangelism has just been go talk to strangers about Jesus, and that's not a bad definition. But unfortunately, most Christians will not naturally do it. Now, let me give you a quick definition of evangelism, just so you have it. It is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what evangelism is. It is very simple. It's not necessarily that difficult. It's simple, but it's also not easy. It's preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to other people. We all, as Christians, would declare this is very important to God and therefore important to my faith, but it is not for me. That's the common sentiment that I hear surrounding evangelism. Evangelism is important, but I don't really know if I'm supposed to be doing any evangelism. Now, if it's not natural to you and you don't really want to do it at all, but you do, how effective is it really? Right? A lot of times we evangelize not because we're full of the Holy Spirit and we're led of the Spirit like Philip was, but we're doing it out of an obligation. We're doing it out of guilt. We're telling ourselves, you know, I should do this. I should do this. I should, you know, should and shame are cousins. And so a lot of times we'll do evangelism out of this shame-inducing compulsion. I have no joy doing this, but I know this is my job and therefore I'm going to evangelize. Most of us have not been exposed to spirit-led uh, evangelism, but we have been exposed to guilt-led evangelism. And whenever evangelism is guilt-led, it'll be guilt-laden. Meaning, you're not preaching hope you're preaching hell. Now, just this week, I was in my car, and I saw people picketing, right? You ever see those people picketing? Yeah. Somebody in here is like, I picket. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but, like, I, 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 you know, I'm in my car, and I see they have, like, signs, and the signs have Scripture. So I'm like, hey, it's my people. You know, I'm excited to greet them in Jesus' name. They got their Scriptures up. And I get a little closer. I'm in my car. I'm like, and they're like, you're going to hell. <laughs> Not even what I do to you, bro. Like, I, I'm a Christian too. You probably don't believe like I do, so you're going to go to hell. Right? Whenever evangelism is guilt-led, it's going to be guilt-laden. And so they'll have you in hell from the word go. Right? And that's all you really are going to hear. And I, it's like that message, turn or burn. Did anybody in here get saved because somebody preached a message like that to you? You? You did? I mean, you did? That's two out of, I don't know, 300 or whatever. It does work for some people. It, it actually does work. Like, it's not entirely fruitless. So when I first got saved, I went to um, 6th Street in Austin, Texas, because that's where I used to live is in Austin. And I went downtown. And I was just a few months removed from the other side. Right? And I went with some friends. And they weren't like putting everybody in hell, but they had all these like tricks. They had like fake $100 bills and like, I don't know, just all kinds of tricks. And I remember thinking like, boy, if you did me like this when I was on the other side of the fence, 
I'd have punched you in your Adam's apple. You know, like, I know how far God has brought me from. This ain't never going to work. But what, here's, what, here's what was crazy. is like some people, some people came up like, I'll take prayer. People were getting saved. People were getting healed. And despite the fact that I thought this ain't never going to work, there was some people who did respond to it. Now, I don't know their motivations for why they did evangelism like that. I don't want to be judgy. And I don't want to call into question why people do evangelism the way that they do or what they do whenever they're doing it. Uh, but here's what I do know. I do not believe at all that Jesus evangelized out of fear that if he didn't, that his father was going to be disappointed in him. You don't see Jesus rushing around trying to fill a quota of salvations. You ever notice that? Because even when he died, he only had 12, and they all left him. So by modern standards, we would look at Jesus as an evangelist and consider him a failure. And yet he's the greatest evangelist ever. So you don't see Jesus moving at the speed of guilt. You see Jesus moving at the pace of grace. I mean, he only had three years of ministry, and he takes naps. Which I think is amazing. You know what I mean? Like a pastor told me one time, listen, son, God does not have so great a need of you that you don't have time for a hobby. That's a word for somebody. I'm telling you right, that's a word for somebody in the room. So you don't see Jesus moving about doing evangelism out of guilt, but you see him moving about, led by the Spirit, overflowing, and this is what we're seeing in the life of Philip, is that it's Spirit-led evangelism. It's not guilt obligation. It is spiritual overflow. Evangelism is not hard when you're full. But evangelism feels impossible when you're empty because you're just not sure if you're actually going to be able to respond to people's need whenever they respond to your preaching. Now, I, 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 th I thought about this uh, analogy this week, and I don't know how good it is, but could you imagine, like, it's summer now, like you're driving an ice cream truck around not knowing if you have any ice cream? I don't know. It just what popped into my head when I was studying could you imagine that? Like, you got the music going. Kids. Right? People trying to flag you down, but you have no idea if you can actually close a sale. Like, imagine how uneasy that you'd feel. Imagine how nervous that you'd feel that somebody might actually ask for what you're saying that you've got. But in reality, you're not sure if you've got the product in the back or not. You have no confidence and you feel incredibly embarrassed about going out. That's evangelism without being full of the Spirit. Evangelism is unnatural for the flesh. <laughs> but entirely normal for the Spirit. A new creation is an evangelist. Let me say it again. A new creation 
is an evangelist. Now, I know sometimes people are like, well, I don't have the personality to evangelize. That's for the people who come up front during the worship. That's not for me. I am an introvert, and I am also a nine on the Enneagram. There's no way I could be an evangelist. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I never read the story in the Scripture where Jesus walks around with a Scantron test in his robe. You know what I'm saying? With a number two pencil on the other side. And just like as he invites people to come to him, I need you to take the disc. Real quick, take this Enneagram test. Because I want to make sure that you have the right personality to follow me. Because eventually, I'm going to call you to preach the gospel. And I want to make sure that you have the right personality to do that. No, God never consulted with your personality before he called and commissioned you to preach the gospel. He just gives you a new personality. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And a new creation is an evangelist. Like, you didn't even get a choice. Like, you don't even get to vote whether or not you want to be an evangelist. If you're following Jesus, his goal for your life is to turn you into an evangelist. <laughs> not me. Yep. You. Everybody. Is becoming an evangelist in the kingdom of God. Listen, fear of evangelism is not a personality problem. It's an intimacy problem. When you're empty, evangelism is hard. When you're full, evangelism becomes a joy because a new creation is an evangelist. When you are full of the Spirit, you naturally seek to share the truth in love. Another thing I thought about this week, but when you're full of spirits, you know, little s, liquors, you unnaturally seek to share lies in lust. I love you, man. That, that illustration didn't go over at all. You see what I'm saying? Like, you're full of the spirits. It's like, you love everybody. I love you. It's like people you never met at the party. I love you. That's kind of what happens in church. Like, after a corporate encounter, you're like so full. You're like, I love you, man. Like, I don't know you. <laughs> What's up? God is good. Right, these are byproducts of being full of the Spirit. Like, as a new creation, you cannot help but to share the truth in love. Our faith is very personal, but our faith must not be kept private. It's very important for us to remember that. Say it with me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Expects, expects me to share the gospel. The Great Commission is a command, and it includes no caveats. Okay, so a new creation is an evangelist. And I'm going I'm to try to do you one better, but I'm going to step on somebody's toes. Are you ready? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Okay, so a new creation is an evangelist. I'm going to go further. A mature Christian is an evangelist. Somebody's like, you're meddling now. I'm not. I didn't come to church for all this. 
<laughs> a mature Christian is an evangelist. Remember the illustration. Jesus is walking the shoreline of Galilee. He calls Peter. He says, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. You ever met somebody in Nashville, and you weren't sure what their angle was? Why are you talking to me, bro? Why you want to be my friend, dude? You know what I'm saying? You know what I love about Jesus is that he reveals his motive from the jump. He tells you where you're going on your faith journey from the onset. He doesn't invite you to follow him. He doesn't have intimacy with you and dote on you and reveal your identity and give you prophetic words only to leave you in that state. He said, I am going to transform you into a fisher of men. Meaning an evangelist. Meaning a missionary. Listen, I, I know that this is like, this is stretching, isn't it? Um, I'm sorry and totally not sorry. A mature Christian is an evangelist. So Jesus said, follow me. Everybody say intimacy. And I will make you. We, we tend to skip over that part, but everybody say discipleship. Into a fisher of men. Everybody say an evangelist. So you see there's a sequence. There's first, second, and third dimension. And so I don't have time to go into this, but real evangelism is done in the third dimension. So you got to go beyond the body, soul, spirit. You see what I'm saying? So we don't have time to get into that, but we're going to do that another time. But if you look at the first one, intimacy a lot of Christians who declare themselves to be mature stop here. Intimacy. That's what it's all about. Oh, yeah, I can tell everybody's quiet now. It's what it's all about. If you're not fishing, are you really following? Because Jesus said if you'd have intimacy with him and you'd allow him to disciple you, he would transform you into an evangelist. Notice he never said you had to disciple yourself. You see what I'm saying? He said, I take supreme responsibility to transform you into the person I've called you to become. That ought to set somebody free this morning. What? You mean I don't need another 1,500 podcast? No. You need Jesus. What? I don't need more letters behind my name? No. You need Jesus more than you need all those other things. Now, he may lead you to pursue those other things, but first and foremost, it starts with intimacy with Jesus. And in love, he begins to transform you. But so many Christians never get to that point because they cannot correlate intimacy with discipline. But the Bible teaches me that God disciplines those that he loves. And if I'm not disciplined, then I'm not in him and I'm not a son. You guys remember this? You with me? So a byproduct of intimacy then becomes discipleship. 
And now because I'm in love and because I have history with the Lord and because I trust him and I know he's faithful to me, I know I'm going to go through some stuff that need to change me and transform me, but it's not just so that I can live more successfully in this life, but so that he can honor his word because no word will return to him void, so that he transforms me into an evangelist, somebody who fishes for men. Now, I don't know if Peter knew exactly what he was talking about. Hold on. I know what being a fisherman is. I fish for fish, but you're talking about fishing for men. I don't know what fishing for men means. Now, here's what I definitely know Peter definitely understood, that fishing was hard work. And this is one of the reasons why our generation struggles with evangelism, because we're allergic to hard work. We're like, I'm going to go out in my boat, and the fish are just going to jump in the boat. You not only have to catch them, you got to clean them too. <laughs> Peter may not have understood what Jesus meant by being a fisherman of men, but I guarantee you he understood that whatever it was that Jesus meant by that meant he was going to be working hard because he knew fishing was hard work. They knew, bare minimum, I'm not going to be an innocent bystander observing Jesus do all the ministry. No, I am going to play an active part as a participant in God's plan to redeem all of humanity. I'm a fisherman. I am an intimate. Jesus is my BFF and all that. But I'm also willing to be disciplined and I will be obedient and I will be submitted and I will surrender and I will say yes when I want to say no. And as the Spirit leads me, I'm going to fish because I'm in relationship with the fishermen. And this is what the family does. Fishing is the family business. This is where Jesus brings us to, but I understand there are people that are like, no, he would never ask me to do that because, you know, intimacy is everything. And uh, I get that, I hear you. No doubt, intimacy with God is what it's all about. I am not negating that. But intimacy always leads us to something. What is that? Fruitfulness. Now, this is what I learned from being with Heidi. And if, and if anybody that I could ever meet this side of heaven ever tells me I am way more intimate with God than Heidi Baker, I'm sorry, but I don't believe you. <laughs> She ruins every service she preaches at because she'll be on her knees for like two hours. You know, she's an intimate. And yet, as far as all the people I know, she's the greatest evangelist I've ever met either. And that's because she teaches something that she understands. Intimacy is unto fruitfulness. Intimacy is not just unto more intimacy. When I got married to Allison, we became intimate. Praise the Lord. But the goal of our intimacy was not just intimacy. It was procreation. So intimacy has a byproduct called fruitfulness. God expects us to be fruitful. 
and multiply, take dominion and subdue the earth. See, God gave Adam a great commission as well. And it was this, be intimate unto fruitfulness. And this is how you subdue the earth. Family has always been God's designed vehicle for world change. Intimacy unto fruitfulness is how we evangelize the nations. But when we buy into this idea that the whole goal of my spiritual life in God is just to look at Jesus, we may abandon our responsibility to produce fruit. Now, I do think that the whole goal of eternity is to look at Jesus. And I think the best goal that you can have in your life is to look at Jesus. After all, Jesus said to Mary, she chose the better thing. The best thing that any of us are ever going to experience is our intimacy with the Lord. But whenever we relegate the entirety of our Christian life to looking at Jesus, and that's it, I want to ask you, where did you get that paradigm from? Because it was not Jesus. Show me the scripture. Let's reason through it together. You're not going to find it. Because Jesus himself said, here's why I came to the earth. Luke 19 and 11. To seek and to save that which is lost. Fishing is in the family business. We have a responsibility. Get filled up in the secret place and win the lost in the public place. We have a responsibility. And I know that people would tell us the most mature Christian that you can become is somebody who never leaves the prayer closet. Man, I'm getting in y'all's business today. But that's not what Jesus says. Because Jesus says, follow me so that I can turn you into a fisherman. So I'm going to go back to my statement and tell you a mature Christian is a fisherman. Culturally, we've developed this style. And it's important that you understand that word. Style of like, it's just intimate. It's just relational. That's all it is. Yes, that's wonderful. And I'm with you in it. Okay? I'm not trying to be mean to you but when we do not procreate we've got to ask ourselves how authentic the intimacy actually is Jesus preached intimacy first Jesus preached intimacy first but Jesus did not preach intimacy only Woo! I feel it just Yes, our first responsibility is not to minister to people. Our first responsibility is to minister to him. But the more connected I become to him, the more I feel what he feels. And and the more I'm broken for what breaks his heart. And the more I'm driven to look for those that he died for. And it's not that I ever have to leave intimacy, but I go led by the spirit just in the same way that Philip was. And filled with the Spirit, I share 
the gospel, the good news of Jesus with other people. This is what it means to evangelize. Now, church, there is nothing wrong with pleasure. Psalm 16 and 11 tells us that in God's presence, there is pleasures forevermore. But righteous pleasure always produces righteous offspring. Man, I want to say something, but I just don't know if it's appropriate. <laughs> I, I'm t- I'm t- uh, it's, no, this one's streamed. God, I'm about to get, somebody's going to clip this. Yeah, we'll see. But it's almost like engaging in some weird version of like spiritual foreplay. It's like we come to church and we just, we do everything but procreate. It's great. And we, we're saying, we're intimate, we're intimate, we're intimate. We're like, where's the offspring? No, I'm intimate. I'm super, I'm very mature. I'm super intimate. Until we're making disciples, we're not as spiritually mature as we think we are. There's the message. <laughs> um, listen, I, I appreciate you, Will. We, we, I, I got more. I got more. So if you want to, like, stay for 12 noon, you can do that. Because uh, I didn't even get to, like, talk about the Ethiopian eunuch, which I think is a fascinating character in the Scripture. A very fascinating character character in the scripture you know a eunuch is a castrated man we got people doing that today are they not deserving of going to did you notice that Philip ran to them out of obedience when he was led by the Holy Spirit he did not look at the person's status or his wealth or his weirdness in his mind. He was also an immigrant, but he went directly to him and he faithfully preached the gospel, but not like this. You're going to hell. He said, do you understand what you're reading? So here's what I'm believing, that God would raise up a church that would run in obedience and in intimacy, full of the Holy Spirit to the lost and those that need him. Okay, I gotta be done, let's stand. Father, we thank you for making us fishers of men. Just say it with me. Say, Lord, I give you permission to make me a fisherman. Highlight people today, this week, that you would have me share good news with. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.